one of the songs that kept me singing over and over again is holiness, holiness is what I long for. And we pray that the church can awaken and the image of the pastor being the only feeding trough that you can go to. And it's just a one-way communication every Sunday morning. Somehow testimonies have got to be released because not only is the worship key, but testimonies and testimonies including confessions and conviction. Hundreds are being set free from pornography and addiction, those students and um, the, the world that's coming in from outside. On February 3rd, 1970, revival swept the Asbury Seminary campus in Wilmore, Kentucky, and really then across our nation. One student said, I was a senior at Asbury Seminary preparing for pastoral ministry when the revival came. Carload of Greenville College University grads like myself drove all night to Greenville, Illinois to be in the chapel the next morning. After a few of us shared what we had witnessed in Wilmore, students spontaneously began streaming to the altar. On Tuesday morning, February 3rd, 1970, at 10 a.m., with 1,000 students present, the chapel service started. The students who had made a high commitment to prayer were in attendance with great expectation that something was going to happen. They even mentioned to one another that they could sense the presence of God. Some of the students had started prophetically that night before that revival was intimate. Asbury's academic dean, Custer Reynolds, was scheduled to speak that morning. When he came to the microphone, he indicated that he did not feel led to speak, so he briefly gave his testimony, then gave an invitation for students to share about their own personal experiences in their relationship with God. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today, we want to step into what is God doing in Wilmore, Kentucky? We've been trying to share with our listeners what we know through eyewitnesses. And we actually have some dear brothers in the studio right now. Steve Copeland, friends know, formerly the CEO of Life Choices of Memphis. He is head of MissionFieldUSA.com. Dear, dear brother, longtime friend. Also, Bill Hart, who is a retired Methodist pastor, attended seminary at Asbury. And what's interesting, Bill was actually... One of those students in 1970 in the chapel at Asbury, Bill, you were there. I was in the separate institution of the seminary. But you were I, on the campus. I was on the campus. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I was almost drug over there from the seminary across the street and was sitting there with the students when the glory of God fell. So you witnessed this. Yeah. Something else has been taking place. As a matter of fact, it began February 8th as a normal church service, according to Asbury College students and leaders. A gospel choir sang at the end of the service, and some students just kind of stuck around afterwards. That has been like a, uh, a tidal wave, really, that has hit our nation. Some folks are asking questions. Is this revival, could God really be showing up and moving in the hearts of these young people, and not just young people, but citizens across Wilmore and others who have come to this town to observe to glean, to worship God there at this moment. Steve Copeland, you are a student of revival. We talk much about it. You pray for revival. I know you and Bill both do for our nation, for our world, that Christ would be glorified and people would come to faith in Christ. When did you decide to go to Asbury? We first heard about it. I, of course, I knew Bill had been there in 1970, and we've had fellowship about it over the years and watched videos so I could be brought up to speed. There's some incredible videos from the 1970 revival, and we started talking with each other, and we went as soon as we could. We had some business here as far as spiritual assignments, and we were there on Thursday and Friday of last week, and it was a great joy to be there. Bill, do you think this is really of a revival that's taking place there at Asbury? 
Well, it's interesting how we uh, were trying to figure out, is this a revival and the traditional ones that we've known through history, or do we call it revival or awakening? Or one of the words that Steve had for it was, it's obvious, it's a stirring of the Holy Spirit. But I do believe I picked up a book there, Dr. McKenna's, about the awakenings. I really see it as just a beginning. When you first awaken in the morning from your sleep at night, you, you have to wipe some sleepy out of your eyes. You have to see this is a new day. And that's what I think we were seeing. And I'm just going to proclaim and declare that it was the beginning of a great national awakening. Bill, let's back up to that period in 1970 when a similar thing, and really, I think it was the month of February, too, wasn't it, in 1970? Yes. God may be saying, uh, be mine, Valentine's Day. So take me back to what it was like at that point, 1970, leading up to Very much the same. Of course, there were different hymns. We had a hymn book. Now you've got all the contemporary music and contemporary songs. It seems like everybody knows, but they also are on the big screens like most contemporary churches have. But the continual worship and singing is a um, carrier of this revival. I know that there are some movements in, in the country, like Kansas City, that understand the momentum of worship and how powerful it is to carry the intercession and to raise yeah. our spirits and keep us going. See, what's the first thing you guys did when you pulled up to Wilmore? We found a parking space, which was hard to do, and then we walked toward the auditorium, and uh, Bill went right to the front of the line. I went to the back of the line, and I got drenched for 40 minutes in the rain <laughs> without an umbrella, and Bill got interviewed by the 700 Club, so, uh, and then got right into the second row. I was in the balcony. Did y'all have arrangements where to stay? I mean, I understand no. that hotels are, are Walk of faith, and, brother. Yeah, we went by faith, and, and out of the blue, a lady and her husband offered us their river house they have there, said they'd never met us before, and they gave us the code to get in, and we stayed there. <laughs> right under this famous high bridge <laughs> yeah. on the Kentucky River, yeah. a mile down south of Wilmore. And that's a historic area, a beautiful area, yes, too, like that, in Wilmore, Kentucky. I was not at the front of the line. I <laughs> went up to try to get him a place to stay in the administration building next to Hughes Auditorium where the revival is. There was 700 Club to do an interview, and Wendy, a uh, beautiful Wendy, she's so precious, man. She just uh, had needed an interview, and here we were, and I go viral, whatever. So we got a celebrity on our show today. We do. He's uh, famous. He'll be famous to the end. <laughs> Infamous. So what was the atmosphere like? Could you tell there was something different about being there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, says the fruit the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and the many other aspects. That was all over. There was the presence of the Lord in reality. And like Bill, I think it's the beginning of something significant that many have been praying for for decades. I call it a stirring, but you could sense a deep hunger for God. And it spread way beyond there. Everywhere we went, uh, outside of Wilmore and even on the way home, people had a hunger for God and they would gather around us and listen to what we were saying about our experience there. I think the seminary and university officials there at Asbury have decided to limit the public participation on the campus. Is that right, Bill? Have you heard that? Well, not only that, they've been trying, but it's become so overwhelming that they're having to close it off this Thursday. And in fact, last night, no more public on the campus. They're focusing in <laughs> on God's Z generation, these young people coming through high school and in college uh, through 25 years of age are the focus of what God is doing and calling. And they're going to only have the rest of the revival this week 
allow from 25 years of age down. While Bill and I were there, we met lots of people from the campus and beyond, people from around the world. Everyone that was there, you could tell that God sent them there. There was no, at least in our, during our time, there were none of the curiosity seekers or people just saying, I want to be there. And that's why Bill and I went. We felt like the Lord would have us be there. And one of the most astonishing was a gentleman from Malaysia who four years ago, the Lord told you leave Malaysia and go to Wilmore, Kentucky, and you put on signs and walk through the community and pray for revival at Asbury. <laughs> I think <laughs> I heard he's been doing this sign, for two years. And I met him and talked with him quite a bit. He showed me on his phone a sign that said, Great Awakening coming here. And he walked around with that, believing that that was going to happen. And that was four years ago. He started, and yeah. Now he's one of the lead intercessors. We were privileged to be invited into the inner sanctum of, they call the engine room for the whole revival, where these corporate prayer is going on 24 hours a day for the revival. And this man was a part of that, moaning and crying out. You just don't yeah. hear that kind of supplication to the point of, what's the word, uh, crying out to God. Yeah, it was, it was, it was almost in travail, birthing travail. part of the— Steve, why have we become a people so complacent and so content mm-hmm. with our Sunday morning church? We don't have that same cry. Where's our heart? Yeah, Peter Lord or Jack Taylor or, or one of those brothers said, the reason why we don't have revival is we're content to live without it. We are living in a subnormal expression of what Christianity really is, and the normal Christian life is full of the zeal of the Lord, full of a, an evangelistic witness, full of a passion for worship and prayer, and it's really everything else in your life is secondary. You're a full-time Christian with your job and everything else and your family and everything being part of that, but not being the primary focus. In obviously many other nations in the world where the Spirit of God is really moving, you find that putting the Lord, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not just words, it's reality. Oh my. Well, in the mix of people, were there those from various nations and races that were participating in the services on the campus, Bill? Uh, let me just give feedback real quick. Yeah. What he says, seek me with, and search for me with all of your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, those who, what's the first of the parables? The first parable is uh, the poor in spirit will uh, experience the kingdom of heaven. And I really believe that we were seeing the glory of the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. Taste and see that the Lord is Amen. good. The goodness is the glory of God. But this whole thing of without holiness, <laughs> no man will see the Lord, is so key. One of the songs that kept me singing over and over again is holiness. Holiness yes. is what I long for. And we pray that the church can awaken and the image of the pastor being the only feeding trough that you can go to. And it's just a one-way communication every Sunday morning somehow testimonies have got to be released because not only is the worship key, but testimonies and testimonies including confessions and conviction. Hundreds are being set free from pornography and addiction, those students and um, the the world that's coming in from outside. And and that's the song of heaven, holy, holy, holy. Amen. Yeah, the holiness, that was uh, absolutely, you felt on the campus, it was a holiness of both the fear of the Lord, but the love of the Lord. And you felt like you were on holy ground, that every conversation you had, every relationship, every interaction with anyone 
during that time we were on the campus was not mundane. It was not earthly or earthy. It was heavenly. You know, the body language that you usually see in the pew on Sunday morning, it, it ain't the expression of seeking God with, you know, and bowing before him that we see up there in a true move of God's Spirit. You are on your knees. It just reminds me so much of Isaiah 6. And when Isaiah saw him high and lifted up as we saw in Wilmore, what was next was, oh, woe is me. Yes. And you're either on your knees, on your face, or in the Word, searching the Word, or you're looking up with your hands raised up, and hallelujah, the Lord of hosts. Yeah. And we saw people come to the Lord, get saved. We saw people getting delivered from sin, from demonic influence in their lives, even one woman literally from possession. I mean, it was quite extraordinary. But when Christ is present, all darkness flees. And that, again, was handled so well. She was surrounded, so she wasn't a focal point, but but people knew what was going on. She was having what they thought was an epileptic fit. They called an ambulance outside, and and yet there was a sound of shriek that came forth from her, and she was healed. Yeah, no sensationalism. That was the only one thing all week long like that. The entire team there, and it wasn't really led by anybody, but there were some mature adults there who were ministering to those who would come forward in a very appropriate and proper way. What about some of the conversations you had with those that you met there? How many days did you spend in Wilmore? We were there two days. Uh, We can give some examples. One day we were trying to get into where the cafeteria is and the door was locked. Uh, It was open on the other side and Bill knocked and a gentleman came down the hall and he had four children, three sons and a daughter. And he was from the New Orleans area and he felt like the Lord told him to be there. I spent uh, about 30 minutes playing in the gym with his kids while Bill had a wonderful fellowship. And for both of us, it was the right thing to do. Just having a wonderful time. I was playing basketball and football and ping pong with the kids. And, and for several months, you couldn't do that. because For you... two years, I had a bad shoulder. I had not been able to use it. And suddenly, it's all fine now. Healed I in the gymnasium. football 40 or 50 yards. <laughs> this man was extraordinary. I've got to get the testimony he gave me while all the kids, five kids and, and this kid, we're playing and, and all in the gym. I was trying to get this testimony from the daddy, which is phenomenal. I'm going to get it out on YouTube. I did get a YouTube out yesterday, last night sometime, an interview that I got when I first walked in the sanctuary. I thought I would just fall on my knees or something, but I was drawn to this. Excuse me, y'all. I was drawn to this college student from Cape Girardeau. And I said, brother, what are you? His face was just so aglow. I just had to find out what's going on. And he said, last night, I laid my life down at the altar. Mm. He said, I came, I was having a break in Cape Girado. I, I was in college yesterday at the subway, having a subway sandwich. And God said, get up and go to Wilmore, wow. go to the revival. And I did. So last night, uh, I left. He said, all my germs at the altar. And he meant also the he was just crying so hard. But he said, I felt so light. I felt like I was floating, the burden that he shed off. And so this was the next day, and he was, you could tell he was still floating around in spirit. His testimony is so precious mm. to me, and I oh, led I him to the head of the prayer team. I just walked in and walked over, and I said, you must be the prayer team. I think you need to hear this guy and pray over him, but they're getting ready to leave to go back to Cape Girado. It was just a great beginning for our 24 hours. Yes. You know, the scripture teaches us that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. 
truth is what this generation, we're talking to Generation Z, really needs, I think, longs for. Do you feel that, Steve? Yeah. You know, the previous generations, you know, go back to my parents who lived within the confines of normalcy, even though they weren't believers. And then our generation and on down, the compass has moved, but now there's not even pointing at anything. It just keeps moving. Relationships come and go. Ambitions in life come and go. Right and wrong comes and go. My truth is here now, and it changes every day. And so that generation, by looking unto Jesus and seeing that all the truth is contained in him, he is the truth. That's the need for this Gen Z. Without that, there's going to be no... uh, reconciliation and fixing the situation. Byron, I had a Michael Youssef uh, book added around for a year, and I hadn't touched it, on End Times, where he's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. It's like the door has been opened and this sweep of violence and all of it's going on. And I think there's a creation of so much fear and anxiety, and it's drifted down to this young generation that's usually in play and having fun. But these kids are taking it seriously, and they know what's ahead of them in the future. And I believe God has met them to show them where the hope lies in Christ. Gentlemen, what should be the residual results? What should they look like when God is moving in the hearts of his people? You know, many people I know were saved during the Jesus movement, uh, which was also at the time of Asbury, where the Holy Spirit moved across the nation. And then what comes is often is reality. The Spirit pours himself out, reveals the Lord Jesus, but then the challenges of life. The real message to me is importunate prayer. That's an old word that means persistent, even to the point of annoyance, really calling upon the Lord in these days for this pouring out to happen in every town, village, city, community, rural area, suburban area from sea to shining sea. This Thursday, 23rd, is the National Collegiate Day of Prayer, where they had actually chosen Asbury as the HQ for this year. It rotates around. We've been praying in our local fellowship for college campuses across the nation by name. We need to see this. Without this, our nation, as Leonard Ravenhill said, it's going to be revival or chaos. We often see churches trying to manufacture revivals by having their annual revival meetings, putting the sign out, and and expect God to show up. Or maybe they don't even expect God to show up, but they just have these meetings as speaker, and they feel like we had our revival meetings. Well, God is good that even while we're sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, he reaches out to us. But he really wants to be loved for who he is, not just for what he can do for us. That requires a determination to deny ourselves, take up our cross. And really, the church should be praying first. Paul said, first of all to Timothy, I exhort you that prayer, supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made. So he's saying the first of all, and yet seems like the church, the last of all, is really having prayer meetings multiple times a week, early in the morning, late at night. It's really, that demonstrates whether we love him or are we just going more for the entertainment or just for the fill-up to go on and live our lives? God doesn't allow that to go on forever. Prayer, in answer to your question too, is this was the fourth outpouring in, in Wilmore, Kentucky. The first one, I've got a book in my hands, was E. Stanley Jones is one of the most famous missionaries. He was a student at Asbury College and wrote this book full of devotions on the theme of being in Christ, abiding in Christ. 
like the green letters message. So he got that message through the revival. And then they began praying for more, Lord, more. Nobody's ever satisfied. We get filled up and yeah. satisfied, but yet we're not satisfied. We want more. You mentioned Jack Taylor. I've got on my desk at home the book, Much More, that he wrote. Yeah. Then they prayed in the second revival. And then the third revival is when I was there. And by the way, my freshman year, my first semester, Dr. Robert Coleman wrote this book, who wrote The Master Plan of Evangelism. And I traveled with him when he preached one time. And once again, people say, well, what, do you, what did he disciple you in and so forth? And I said, just about all he did was just clap his knee and, and drive with one hand and praise and worship the Lord. <laughs> My greatest experience, thanks be to Steve for having me get back up there again for this fourth outpouring, was in our own Estes Chapel. We're live streaming from the college campus across the street to our seminary in two different chapels there so that the overflow crowd, and they fill those up. I've drug him down to the front row, (laughs) and uh, we were sitting on the front aisle. And I went to the altar. I said, Steve, before I went up there, I said, Steve, that's where Dr. Robert Coleman knelt back in 1969, 68, whenever I was. Sometime over those three years, I was leaving the chapel service. Dr. Robert was raising his hands and crying out to God with a travail and a moan. I've never heard that before, before we were in this prayer meeting uh, praying for this revival. And I said, I've got to go up there and kneel where he knelt again. You made a comment, Bill, just now about our position of being in Christ. We as Christians, as we possess the sealing of the Holy Spirit, as stated in Ephesians 4, having been crucified with Christ, He is living in us. Shouldn't that be a reason for daily revival, for us to be that living sacrifice for His kingdom, for His glory, Stephen? Yeah, um, Norman Grubb, who was related to C.T. Studd, married one of his daughters, I believe, and wrote Reese Howell's Intercessor, and a number of people I've known over the years knew Norman quite well. He wrote a book called Continuous Revival, and I would recommend every Christian to read this book because it shows, speaks to that, because we've been placed in Christ and Christ is in us, and we've been crucified with Christ, and we've been raised up together, seated with him in the heavenly places, we can live a life of continuous revival if we choose the pathway of obedience, choose the pathway of the cross, confess our sins quickly and forsake them, that's really what Watchman Nee called the normal Christian life. Amen. As you guys assess, I can't imagine the conversation in the car on the way home from Wilmore, but as you assess <laughs> what took place and what you enjoyed together in fellowship and you saw God do, what do you think God is teaching you from being in Wilmore this time, Bill? I have a book at home called Glory Carriers. In 1970, we had hundreds of small groups that went out, witnessed teams, and took the glory. And everywhere we witnessed, there would be repentance. Southwestern Baptist Seminary is one of the famous places that a whole classroom fell to their knees and started repenting and confessing sins like it happened in Hughes Auditorium. This time, there's so much social media with all the operation of Facebook, et cetera, hundreds and hundreds coming too. But uh, I think our first order is to come to Christ. We're the ones like Peter that got to step out of the boat by faith and walk toward him. And he says, come to me and I will show you. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things. So uh, just this hunger and thirst for righteousness has got to come so that we'll be shaken 
<laughs> By the way, uh, this is incredible. I was in a three-hour prayer meeting called the Summit Prayer Meeting that our new pastor at Christ Church Memphis, who used to be Christ United Methodist, and we've separated. By the way, that's another theme here is separation is going on. Yeah. The wheat and the tares, the sheep from the goats, and you're seeing that take place. Those who are hungry and thirsty will be there at the altar at Hughes Auditorium and one more are on their knees in their bedroom or witnessing out at the lake with that group on Sunday afternoon, three to five. But hunger and thirst, and again, it's a fire that's stoked through intercessory prayer. This fellowship that Steve's in, I've never seen such a praying community. And so many young, strong men, I've never seen so many men that pray and, and cry out to God. Y'all been together doing that for 30-something years. 53 years of waiting on this fourth revival to take place from 1970. It's not too long to wait to see something which brings us into the picture of all the seven churches of Revelation, where it talks about the overcomers, the one who will conquer, that they are the ones that have the ears. What is it, Steve? He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Yeah. The Spirit. The Spirit is Holy Spirit. Go back to Christ Church Memphis. Our new pastor is preaching on the Holy Spirit these four Sunday mornings of February. He preached on being filled with the Spirit Sunday before last, and there were over 50 people that came forward. And we know this is the home of Dr. Maxie Dunham, who is so well known. And he was, by the way, at the seminary for 10 years as president and came back as pastor emeritus to Christ Church. But I said, Maxie, have you ever seen anything like this in this church? You've been here for so many years. He said, no. And we've never seen anything like these prayer meetings that are going on. Went in last Sunday, by the way, to Memphis Tabernacle. All of my kids were there and loving it. The service could not stop. It went on till 3 p.m. in the afternoon before Pastor David Dearman had to close it off. The sweet spirit that was there was the same as in Wilmore. God is doing it everywhere. Your grandson at Sanford in Birmingham. Sanford, yes. Is it Sanford. Yeah. Blue Mountain College, which my family are iconic family of Buchanan's Mr. Buck, Ms. Buck from Blue Mountain College. <laughs> and it's so exciting to hear that story. Steve, how about for you? Takeaways? Well, I think the three words that come to me, one is the stirring. We must be stirred up and stir ourselves up. Uh, secondly, the hunger. We saw it, for example, when in restaurant in Goodlettsville, <laughs> Tennessee, and people gathered around us and the manager, and we sat down, and suddenly there was a mini revival at the table in the little dining area. And then the third thing is importunate. Again, that's that old-fashioned word, but it's persistent prayer. The Lord is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He loves to save, but He saves us so we will pursue Him with all of our hearts. I love that. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and heart with us from having come back from Asbury. And uh, thanks for being our guest so much. We love you, Byron. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Let me also say, friends, as you're listening to our show today, Steve, with missionfieldusa.com, please go to that website. There's opportunities for you to be on mission with your relationship with Christ, to share the good news. There's excursions being planned throughout this year. You're invited to participate. Please go to missionfieldusa.com and discover more. Really all the time we have on today's show. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time.